Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. Come on in, folks. I'm real excited today. This is going to be episode 40 of the Wild West Showdown. A lot of naysayers said we wouldn't ever last, but guess what? We're still here, and we got plans to be here for a long, long time. The response we've received from our listeners has been very encouraging. There's just one thing that would make all this much, much better, and that's for you. Yeah, I said you, to join us each Wednesday and tell all your friends and neighbors about the Wild West Showdown. Send us an email and let us know that you did that. I'd appreciate it so much. JC at outlawspublishing.com or JC at theoldcowboy.net. Now, we're going to be visiting with Arthur Deborah Gillette Wilson in just a little bit. And as always, we've got some great country music for you to enjoy. But right now, I want to tell you about a very famous individual, the Prince of Hangman. To have a humane hanging, a big knot is necessary. If it doesn't break the man's neck when he drops, he strangles. That isn't a pretty sight. He just kicks and twists a lot. Those are the words of George Melodin, the Prince of Hangman. He earned that name as Judge Parker's chief executioner during the lawless years when Parker served as judge of the federal court for the Western District of Arkansas. Melodin was born on June the 10th, 1830, and he migrated with his parents to Detroit, Michigan when he was still a child. When he grew up, he headed westward where he worked as Fort Smith, Arkansas, police officer. When the Civil War broke out, he enlisted in the Arkansas Light Artillery, serving in his 1st Battalion. He was a diminutive man. He was described as a wispy little fellow with dark eyes and hair, a fair complexion, and a long beard. He was quiet in nature. He rarely smiled and was almost always dressed in black, an appearance that would soon seem appropriate. To his new profession. After the war, Melodin returned to Fort Smith where he worked as a deputy sheriff before being hired as a turnkey at the federal jail in May 1871. The next year he was appointed as a special deputy in charge of execution of the condemned prisoners. For the next 22 years he would execute more than 60 criminals and was forced to shoot five of those criminals during escape attempts, two of which he killed. In no time, he was given the title the Prince of Hangman by the local newspaper. For three years between 1873 and 1876, these executions upon the gallows were made public, and they drew thousands of people from not only the surrounding areas, but sometimes from across the nation. During this time, a total of 22 men were hanged in seven different public displays. As the morbid gawkers gathered around the 20-foot wide scaffold, 20 men could be hanged at one time. 
The question was not who was going to be hanged first, but rather, would they be executed at the same time? September the 3rd, 1875, the largest group ever to be executed at once occurred when Maladin hanged six men at the same time. There was over 5,000 people watching those six men be put to death. Of those six men, three were white, two were Native American, and one was black. Their death warrants were read to them, and each was asked if they had any last words. When the preliminaries were over, the six were lined up on the scaffold while George Melodin adjusted the nooses around their necks. The trap was sprung, and all six died at once at the end of the ropes. Melodin was proud of the ropes that he used, and he explained to one reporter he was proud of his craft, and he displayed a collection of leg irons, straps, and ropes that were actually utilized in some of the hangings. When showing a reporter one rope that had been used in 11 hangings, Maladin said, It's made of the finest hemp fiber, handmade in St. Louis, and treated to keep it from slipping. When he was questioned about the type of knot that he used for executions, he was very pleased to show off his expertise. In 1878, a 16-foot-tall fence was built around the gallows, and the executions became private affairs. The only execution that Maladin refused to carry out was that of Shepard Busby, a U.S. deputy marshal who had been convicted of killing another marshal when he was tried to arrest him. After more than two decades carrying out these gruesome tasks, Maladin retired in 1894 and opened a grocery store in Fort Smith. Maladin was asked if his conscience ever bothered him about the hangings or if he feared the spirits of the departed. No, I've never hanged a man who came back to have the job done over. By 1905, Maladin's health was seriously failing and he entered an old soldier's home in Humboldt, Tennessee, where he spent the remainder of his days. He died just shy of his 81st birthday. How would you like to be remembered for something like that? I think the title of this song might be something the Prince of Hangman might say. This is Bob Manning singing, It Won't Hurt. It won't hurt when I fall down from this bar stool. It won't hurt when I stumble in the street.
comes back up with a sunrise. I reach out for the bottle and find it's gone. you folks think about that song? Wasn't it great? Thank you, Bob, for such a great song. Now let's visit with author Deborah Gillette Wilson. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown today, counselor, author, and speaker Deborah Gillette Wilson. Welcome, Deborah. Well, good morning. I've always noticed last names like yours, but I can't remember ever pronouncing one until now. I believe it's called a hyphenated name. Can you tell us what a hyphenated name is? Well, what it means to me is Shalette is my maiden name. Uh-huh. Wilson is my married name. I didn't feel like I gave up anything when I got married, so I put them together. <laughs> All right. You've got quite a resume. You've done a lot of different things. Uh, give us a short synopsis of what you've done throughout your life. Well, to kind of summarize it, I've always worked with people at varying levels of crisis <laughs> As a firefighter, an EMT, working in a hospital, I've worked with people in the banking industry and even as as a data processor years and years ago. And then more recently, in the last maybe 10 years, besides being a counselor, I've worked with children who there were concerns about being abused, and that's called a forensic interviewer. So that was a very interesting experience, and I had to get specialized training for that. Now, you being a firefighter, did you have to fight the prejudice against women firefighters? Yes, there was some of that. And it didn't help because we had some other women who didn't quite do what they needed to do. And, and so that was kind of a challenge to overcome. But I did I did overcome it, and I worked really well. You know, the men and I worked well together and helped each other at the fires and stuff like that. So we all survived. All right. You said there was uh, some women that didn't measure up, and that made it harder for you to have to measure up. Wasn't there also men that didn't measure up? Why didn't it make it harder for them? We're talking back in the 80s, so the consciousness was really different. And there was a lot of beliefs that women, number one, couldn't do the job anyway. And so even a, a man that didn't measure up, I guess, was kind of thought of as better than than a woman who they didn't believe could. But that's been proven not true. Exactly. But like so many beliefs, it just takes time for that transition to happen. Not that it's not over with, but it's better. You said you were married. Do you have children? I have three 
grown stepdaughters and eight step-grandchildren, and then I was a foster parent for two teenage girls. Okay. Which was a big learning experience. No, I imagine it was. <laughs> You're a counselor. After you've done all of these other things in your life, what made you decide to settle into being a counselor? Well, because I've, I guess I've always done that. I was the person, even as a child, that people would come to for comfort, to talk over their problems. It was just like people innately trusted me with really personal, difficult things. And I stepped up to the plate and was able to do that. And it was just the way I was. I was, you know, like I was good with kids, good with animals. And even sometimes the grown-ups would turn to me and tell me their problems. Ah. So I decided probably, it was probably in my 30s, it's like maybe I should just go to school and get my credentials and make money doing what I do anyway <laughs> instead of doing it for free. Does that kind of put a heavy burden on you to hear everybody else's problems? How do you handle that is what I'm asking. I guess I haven't really looked at it that way because it's like, I don't know, I look at it as like something really sacred. Yes. It's like a sacred trust. I mean, I can't say that I really understand it. It's just how my life has been and how I've been with people. And if I can help people that way, then, you know, it just seems like the thing to do. Now, I mean, it can get overwhelming at times, especially since I've been a counselor, because burnout's really high. Because, you know, I've dealt with a lot of kids having experienced abuse, and so that's pretty intense, but, you know, so is the firefighting and so was the ambulance and the emergency room. So somehow I managed to handle the kind of things that I've handled and go on. When did you decide to enter the book market and why? Well, actually, I started writing as a child. I guess that was one of the ways that I kind of helped deal with things was to write. So I would write my feelings down. I would write about things that were happening. And then I kind of progressed to using my imagination to make up worlds and scenarios and things like that. So I really always wanted to be a writer. And I guess in a way I have been. I mean, I'm a writer because I write and I can't not write. I mean, I just can't not do it. So getting published is something different, <laughs> as you well know. I <laughs> uh, know very well. You said you've always been a writer and, and you, you could not write it. That is a writer. A writer can't not write. It's just something that's built into us. And, and I can't understand why everybody's not the same way. Anyway, how do you come up with the titles and characters' names in your stories? Sometimes I look around at different words or I look and look at different names and just kind of pick one that suits my fancy, so to speak. Or I take names of people that I know and kind of play with them and come up with a different name. Do you use an outline when you write? Most of my books I haven't. I think one book, my self-help book for women, I think I did do an outline on that. But most of them I just kind of sit at my computer and it becomes my keyboard like a piano is how I look at it. And I'm instead of creating music, I'm creating words. It's a unique way to describe it. Has there ever been a time as an author that you've gotten discouraged and said, I'm not going to do this anymore? Well, on the marketing piece, yes. But on the writing piece, no. <laughs> okay, great. You know, it's like whether I ever get published or not, I'm going to write. And you being a counselor, you're not allowed to feel that. You're not allowed to feel discouraged, are you? <laughs> well, the reality is I do. I think that's a false impression of counselors like they've got their lives all together. I've been just as challenged in my life as, as anyone else. 
Yeah, counselors are just human beings like everybody else. And that's what I say, is I was a, a person before I became a counselor. It's something that I do. It's not necessarily, I see that as my identity. Are you self-published or do you have a publisher? Uh, right now I'm self-published. Have you had publishers in the past? No. Okay, great. So the changes in the present day publishing has really helped you as a writer, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And you was talking about your marketing part side of it. Are you having your own marketing or do you have a publicist? No, I try to do it myself. Kind of the lone rangerette, <laughs> which I'm getting tired of being just the lone rangerette out here in the wilderness of rural Northeast Texas. So how much time do you spend with social media? Not that much, really. I didn't grow up with any of that, so I just can't seem to get caught up before they change it. Yeah, it'll probably change tomorrow, won't it? Yeah, so it's that's been a struggle is getting all of that together and you have to, and actually marketing is a different language and it might as well be some foreign language for me because that's what it's been. But I'm I'm learning more and that's one of the things I guess I appreciate about myself is I I do what I practice with my clients and that's personal growth and development across the lifespan. You have quite a few videos on YouTube. Can you tell us what they're about? Some of them are about my escapades in fishing, bass fishing tournaments with my husband. And then some of them are workshops that I've done for parenting. I think one's called Up Upgrade Your Parenting Skills because lots of things have changed in the world and parenting skills uh, need an upgrade because there's lots more we know about. You mentioned bass fishing. Are you a good fisherman? Well, I'd rather be a good catcher. I mean, I've caught some really good fish, but I don't do it as consistently as some of the other guys in our club. <laughs> they're always catching something. You know, I'd like to get where I could get my five, even if they're small, to weigh in. <laughs> what kind of advice would you give somebody that tells you they want to be an author? Well, actually, I've helped a couple of people. One, she has uh, got her book, or I helped her get her book published I just published it on my Create Space. She wrote her manuscript, and then I, I edited it for her. So I'm very supportive of people writing because I do believe everyone's got at least one or two books within them. They just don't know it. I, I believe that. Know it. I definitely believe that, yes. And so right now I'm supporting another woman uh, to write about her experiences. It's really been fun because it once she's got into it, She's finding how helpful it is, actually, therapeutically, and in a way of getting clarity for her own life and kind of putting pieces together. So it's kind of, it's really fun to watch. Writing can be therapeutic to a person, can it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, as a kid, I, that's what I think got me started writing because I needed some way to express myself that was safe. And so writing became that for me. And of course, in with my work of with my clients, I suggest they keep a journal and not just a journal about everything that's wrong, but also about things they're grateful for, things that have been supportive to them, things that have nurtured them, things where they've been successful. So you have more of a balanced perspective of your life instead of just being about the bad things. I counted eight books on Amazon. Do you have anything else going right now? Yes, I'm working on a puppet book. I've created these puppets to help children and adults in explaining how the brain works and how trauma impacts that. So I have a set of puppets, and I've got the puppet pictures in the book. 
And each one is going to be like a character to explain how this part of the brain works and then how everything works together. And when there's too much stress or, too, or a traumatic experience, how that plays out. Working on that one. I'm also working on a book for women about uh, overwhelm because that seems to be uh, an ongoing theme that I've noticed in my counseling of moms of the kids I see. And that's also giving me a shift to working more with women in an educational program that I've created called the Three Pillars of Self-Care. And that's my a new endeavor that I'm doing. All right. Do you have a date for these these couple of books? I'm projecting to have both of them done by midsummer. All right, great. And now the the three pillars of self-care is an education program that's already out there and if people are interested in checking that out they can, you know, check it out at my website. And speaking of your website, how do people get in touch with you? You got a website? Yes, it's www.alifeofloveandbalance.com. Okay, and you're on Facebook. Yes, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Twitter. Then Twitter. Okay. How about your email? You want to give out your email address? For sure. It's my name, Deborah D B O R A H, and then Shalette C H E L E T T E Wilson W I L S O N at gmail dot com. Do you interact much with your readers? No, that's one of those things I haven't developed. That's like a whole, some of the, my author friends, they are talking about that, and I have not a clue what they're doing. What was your favorite treat as a kid? My favorite treat? Like candy, cake, something like that. I'm more of a pie person. Pie? What kind of pie? I like chocolate. I like strawberry with bananas, like a lemon meringue. So you're saying that that was your treat as a kid and it's still your treat today. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what I liked as a kid. I didn't always get it. We usually (laughs) have cake, Uh you know, but it's like I'm not. a. Actually, this last year, my husband got me a cake. I I said, from now on, for my birthday, get me a pie. I want a birthday pie. It's taken me all these years to finally say what I want. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a while. Yeah, it does. Okay. Do you have a favorite movie or a TV show? I've liked a lot of movies, but the one I probably watched the most is The Abyss. The Abyss. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite line from a movie or a TV show? Hmm. It's a tough question. Yeah, it is, because there's so many. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of one. Uh, has there been a significant person that's helped you along in your life that you admire more than any others? What comes to mind is my nanny, who was like the really important, like my person when I was a kid. She passed away when I was 11, and it was like the sunset on my life when, when she passed away. And I really never grieved her until I was like in my 40s and, and going through uh, school, or 30s, I guess I was in my 30s then, and actually going through my graduate work as a counselor. So I went and created this memorial service and went to her gravesite in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and finally had my saying goodbye to her. 
you don't grieve someone, it just stays stuck in you. And you lose, you really lose a lot of the relationship you had with that person. So after I did that, I was like able to say her name. I was able to think about a lot of the things we did, even though it was a long time ago. And I began to realize that a lot of what has kept me grounded in life was the relationship I had with her and the kind of relationship it was. Because she gave me things that no one else gave me, which was her time, her attention, her energy. She was supportive of me. She treated me like a person, not like some little kid that didn't know anything. And those experiences from a neurophysiological perspective were very grounding and kept gave me a baseline that when life got tough, that's where I went back to was I went back to that support and the encouragement and the love that I knew she had for me and her belief in me to be able to to succeed and, and to be creative and do things. All of this that you've told me about her, is, did you learn this on your own or did you have to go to school to learn this? Well, it's what I experienced out of school. With The school education that I got was really, really good because it was very experiential. I didn't go the traditional route. So I was fortunate to have professors who were actually therapists and had been out in the field. And so they asked us profound questions that kind of made us turn inward and think about our experiences. We were too busy in life to do that. So it's like that created a pause for us to where we really took a pause in life to really connect with things that have been there, but we just weren't aware of. And it, so it was out of that that I connected to her and to that experience and the loss of her. What I'm trying to ask is you've already had the gift of being able to deal with people and listen to their problems. What I'm asking is, did the education that you received help you to mature or to grow that gift that you already had? Yes, it gave me the language. What it couldn't give me is my presence, I guess, how I am as a person. And so many things I did, um, I guess you could say kind of intuitively. So you can't really learn that in school, but they gave me like the, the boundaries and the parameters and ways of looking at things that were very, very helpful and helped me to understand how I did naturally fit into this that kind of particular world of work. We want to thank you for being on the Wild West Showdown today, and I want to invite you to come back and visit again anytime you want to. Okay, well, I'd love to. We'll talk to you later then, okay? Okay. Outlaws Publishing is moving along at a good clip. We signed five new authors since the beginning of the year, and this is only the middle of March. And we're negotiating with several other authors and are expecting to sign many more in the very near future. Now, i got a question for you. Will you be one of those authors to sign with Outlaws Publishing or one of its subsidiaries? The only thing holding you back from doing that is yourself. And here's something I want to stress to you. Please, I'm begging you. Whether you sign with Outlaws Publishing or not, we're here to help you. Why would you do that, you ask? Because Outlaws Publishing is in the business of helping any author that wants and asks for help. How do I get help, you ask? You send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. I'm willing to share what little I know about the book business with anyone who asks me. While I was waiting to pick up my great-granddaughter from school the other day, I listened to episode three of the Wild West Showdown again. And I said some things on that show that I think bear repeating. 
So I'm going to play it for you right now. Now remember, this was 39 episodes ago, yet it still applies today. Take a listen to this. I want to tell you about something that happened to me the other day, something I like to call a true writing experience. My book sales slipped away for a few days and left me wondering if I'd ever sell another book again. Now, is that something you felt? You've had a good run and suddenly there ain't nothing there on the sales dashboard? You're in the hole, so to speak, and I'm sure you felt as bad as I did when I saw my books flatlined. I wanted to bring this up because I've gotten cards and letters and emails from authors whose books aren't selling. They try and they try, but the sales just aren't there. Believe me, I know how heartbreaking that is. They spend their time writing and creating, and then there just isn't a reward. How do you, as an author, cope with such a thing? I personally think the most important thing to do is to keep on going, keep on writing. You got to keep pushing, keep wading through that sea of despair and make yourself heard above the crowd. You got to keep promoting, keep pushing, and take pleasure in the things that make you feel good, like the day when you moved more books than usual, or when you had somebody tell you they read your book and they loved it, or when somebody told you they couldn't put it down until they read the whole thing. You need to know this. If one person loved the book, others will love it too. We all got to keep in mind that there's going to be bad days, but we just have to keep on fighting. I know this ain't what you wanted to hear. You wanted a quick answer, but let me assure you that there ain't no quick, easy answer. My grandpa told me one time that his hogs wasn't growing as fast as his debts. He needed those hogs to grow faster, but there just ain't no way to make hogs grow any faster. He'd tell the bank that they'd get their money when the hogs got ripe. Even though the bank got frustrated, they also knew that patience would get them the money. They could have foreclosed, but what would that have gotten them? A bunch of hogs that still had to be fattened up to send to market. Eventually, though, the hogs did get fat, and they were sent to market. Grandpa paid the bank, and everybody was happy. You need to wait for your books to ripen, and they will, with a lot of patience and a bit of luck. Just hang tight until they're nice and ripe and juicy, just like Grandpa's hogs. Don't put pressure on your books. Let them mature and grow at their own speed. And the results, well, the results might just surprise you. Why play that now, you ask? Well, I've had a lot of authors ask, how long before my books start selling? When will I see a profit? Well, I tell these folks there's no guarantee in the book business. You gotta be patient. I also tell them if you're writing to get rich and famous, maybe you better look for another profession. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I also talk with authors who are making a living from writing. However, there are more, many more, I might add, that aren't making enough to pay for the editing of their book. Some of them get discouraged and quit before they even get started. Now I feel very strongly about what I'm going to say now. If you have a God-given talent to write, I believe you'll write no matter how much money it costs or how much money you make. If that talent is hidden away or squashed down, it'll be like a festering wound that won't heal until it's taken care of. You'll never be satisfied until you release that talent and share it with the world. Believe me, I've been there, and I know about the empty feeling when you don't do something about it. Let it out. Share it with somebody, whether you sign with us or not. And remember this. You don't need a publisher to publish your book. You can do it yourself. 
I'll be glad to talk to anybody and explain how you can do that. Send an email, jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. I'll be glad to help you out any way I can. Now let's enjoy another song. This is Myra Rowland singing Yours to Hurt Tomorrow. Thank you so much, Myra, for that song. Another great song by a fantastic voice, Myra Rowland. We want to say thanks to Bob Manning and Myra Rowling for allowing us to share their music on the show today. And a special thank you goes to Deborah Chillette Wilson for being our guest author. Gather round now for some of that very important cowboy wisdom. When you give a personal lesson in meanness to a critter or to a person, don't be surprised if they learn that lesson. This is the old cowboy J.C. Hulsey saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Hulsey. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.